0: Welcome to Podcast for Sales Engineers, Proof is in the Pudding. This podcast is brought to you by smart POC platform, Pudding.app. And I'm your host, Vikaria. In our podcast today, we have Ramzi Marzaba today. He has been working in sales engineering space for a long time and networking and test measurement space. Hello, Ramzi. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. You're actually one of the first people to pronounce my last name 100% correctly.
0: All right. Great. I'm, I'm glad I did. So one of the things we had a chance to discuss before and we about a sales engineer, you have been working in sales engineer space for a long time, and you run an organization called We The Sales Engineers. I think in the sales engineering space, there is not a lot of content available out there, and you are one of the person or one of the organization who are building some really quality content for the sales engineer. So first of all, thank you for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. What motivated you to start with The Sales Years platform? How did you
1: get started with that? I I am a remote SE, so there aren't any SEs around me, or at least in my previous company, there weren't any sales engineers around me. And I started learning about sales engineering for my salesperson. Uh, and he taught me the spray and pray method very well. Are you familiar with the spray and pray method? No, I'm not. What is that method? Spray and pray. So we have a portfolio of six hundred products that we sell, and every time we go meet a customer, we just go through a PowerPoint presentation of all the six hundred products and see if they're interested in. It. Are you oh, interested uh, in this?
0: Spray and pray means you just throw the information out there and figure it out what sticks.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Show up, <laughs> yes, show right. up and throw up. Spray <laughs> and throw up. Yeah. Okay. Whatever <laughs> it is, and uh, I went through an experience where we had a big deal coming up and we invited the VP of sales, uh, the senior VP, so everybody in the sales, structure, sales chain. And I went, we went through one of those uh, spray and pray methodologies. And afterwards, the, the VP calls me into their, his uh, office or the conference room and says, Ramsey, you didn't do any discovery. Which then, that was a year and a half into my career as a sales engineer, and at which point I asked, what is a discovery? So a year and a half into my career, I didn't know what that was.
0: <laughs> right,
1: right. And, I found that other people in my company have the same issues where they don't know what sales, like how to do sales engineering. And the best way for me to learn is to talk to other people. And uh, so I started a podcast and invited people over and they started coming on. And it's been going for a couple of years now.
0: Yeah. You, I saw you recently completed uh, more than a hundred podcasts, which yep. is a feat in itself. Yeah, and are, are you planning to write a book uh, or something with your experience running the podcast? I haven't thought of that. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, it could be a great book actually because so many people came across with so many ideas. It could be a great to compile them as a form of a book, maybe.
1: Yeah, like uh,
0: kind of Tim Ferriss' uh, Tools of Titans. Uh, Tools of Titans, exactly. Tools of yeah. Titans. You named that book. Yeah. yeah. So, can you share some of the interesting conversations that you had? which could be useful for the listeners, especially around in the sales engineering area? Some of your guests, which mentioned something that was interesting.
1: Yeah. So I've I've had a lot of different guests. One of them was John Kerr, and he was on show 100, at which point my uh, co-host, Benny, was talking about how the salesperson owns an opportunity or owns the customer account. Uh, And John Kerr corrected him and said the sales team owns the customer account, not just the sales guy, because as soon as we say like, this guy owns this, the SE owns that, we're washing our hands from some responsibility that we have. I I thought that comment was great. A a big takeaway that I've had from the podcast is that many SEs are not involved in the discovery meetings. And that's a big struggle that they have.
0: I I agree. I I think in some of the cases, especially what personally my experience has been if there is a one-to-one mapping between account executives and sales engineering, SEs still get a chance to go in the, some of those early meetings and hear from the customer first. But in other places where, in some cases where we have let's like say a pool of SEs where they are or they're supporting multiple account executives, it's been always challenging to figure it out what customer wants to do and they definitely miss out in those discovery meetings and uh, understand what the customer pain point is.
1: And from my experience, at least from the people I talked to, that generally shows in the demonstrations where they go in and don't demo what the customer wants to see or don't have enough information. So we have one guest, we recorded the episode, but the episode didn't come out yet. And he talked about how his company doesn't do discovery calls. Like they didn't want to bug the customer. They didn't want to keep asking, Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the inside sales uh, rep does a bit of discovery, sends the information out to the sales engineer, to the salesperson, who then does, sets up a demo instead of setting up a discovery call. And over a few years of this uh, particular SE just nagging them and telling them, like, let's just talk to them for five minutes, ten minutes, whatever, they start doing it. And now, although he doesn't have the numbers, his close rate for the demos went up. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the key to a good demo is a good discovery.
0: Absolutely. I think discovery, yeah, I I think it's probably one of the, like you said, even though I see more and more people focusing on it, I think it's still a lot of people struggle while doing discoveries. And I would say both at the sales and sales engineering level, uh, the good SEs, they always do discoveries, no doubt about it. But what I've seen is in some cases, even the sales level also, uh, people try to throw demo or POC as a selling tool, which is not really a good idea. Uh, without discovery, none of these tools are effective. You need to know exactly what customer wants before you actually start showing them, or let's say you go into a POC and just you know start showing them a shiny object. Most of the time it
1: won't work. Yeah, for my pet peeve with POCs right now, we we're having this discussion with the customer. We we're talking about his needs and, her needs. and then someone would say, hey, we can give you some licenses if you want to try it out. That's the biggest pet people I have. What are they going to try out? Yeah. How are they going to try it out? Who's going to support them? What's right. the success criteria?
0: Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So can you talk a little bit about your personal experience as an SE? What has been working well for you both? Let's start with demo first. So let's say when you uh, go out and do the customer demos, one of the things that we talked about is discovery. But usually what are some of the thoughts or some of the best practices you can share that that
1: have been working well for you as an SE? When I'm preparing for a demo, the, the question, so what, pops so often in my head that it hurts my head after a while. I'm trying to show this to the customer. I want to show this feature. So what? How is that going to help the customer? A lot of people show the feature just for the sake of showing the feature. It's a cool feature. I like it but doesn't matter to the customer. So we always have to think about it from a customer's perspective. Right. Uh, The best demo I've done, I I did by accident and I learned a lot from it. Where we're talking with, a, didn't do, I wasn't part of the discovery call. It was early on in my career. And the sales guy comes out of the meeting and he looks at me and says, you have a demo next Friday for virtualization. And you have different platforms for virtualization, uh, ESXi, KVM, whatever. I asked him, all right, which platform do they want? Like they want to talk about the platform or they want to talk about our product running on the platform? He's like, no, the platform and our product. I said, fine. All right. Which platform is it? He said, it's uh, ESXi. So I went, spent my day preparing for it. And then I showed up to the meeting and within the two, first two minutes I asked, so you, my sales guy mentioned that you guys want to do this on ESXi. They're like, no, it's KVM. So I skipped. Right talking about the platform altogether, the infrastructure, and just talked about our product and saying, whether it's KVM or ESXi, it works the same. Look, it's running, it's done. My demo went down from an hour to five minutes.
0: Okay.
1: And it just, the point of the story is is I started at the end. I didn't show them every configuration step. I I started at the end and that was one of the best demos that I've done. And since then I've been starting at the end. Plus, I read uh, the great uh, demo book by Peter Kohan. Uh, he he talks about the same thing. So it's not just my idea where you right. start at the end and then you go back to show some details based on their needs. Right.
0: So, so now the uh, one of the interesting thing is about that their products come in, in different spectrums. So for example, there are some companies who are pretty new in the space and their products or the, even the product itself is new in the space. So people don't know anything about the product but the network and test measurement space has been there for a long time so when you go out it's more most likely that customer has seen some flavor of it so do you think that changes your strategy in any way when you let's say do a demo uh, for the customer or how do you or let's say do you think if let's say you would have done a demo for a product that customer never saw it before that would have changed your strategy
1: For sure. So right now, most of my customers are existing customers. So the number of demos has significantly reduced because they already know the product. They just buy more ports or more licenses, more chassis, whatever it is. So the demo gets smaller and the type of customer obviously changes the way you do the demo. Because if I'm demoing to, let's say Cisco, I don't know if your audience is familiar with Cisco, it's the biggest, one of the biggest networking companies in the world, they write most of the standards. And I'm demoing to someone who wrote the standard, it's going to be very different than demoing to the ma- their manager. If I'm demoing to them, we're going to get into the weeds, we're going to get into the smallest details, the bits and bytes, right. the manager just wants to know if it solves the problem.
0: Yep, that's correct.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I would say it, change, it changes significantly within one company from the type yeah. of person you're, you're uh, demoing to.
0: Makes sense. And especially when you're talking about the companies at the scale of Cisco and uh, yeah, definitely uh, you will see a variety of uh, people that you will be working with. So now let's talk about uh, POCs, uh, proof of concepts. Do you, in your, for your product, do you still do POCs or it's mostly around demos? How, do you, how does your sales cycle look like?
1: With networking, and test and measurement, almost every customer wants to try it out on his, on, in his inf- environment mm-hmm. against, because almost everything is you interoperate with between our device and their device. And they want interoperability always causes issues. So they always want to try it out. So the sales cycle looks like we get a lead, a customer calls in, or we get a lead from marketing sales guide does the qualification. We do the discovery together demo. Proof of concept, close the deal. Right. And hopefully. So
0: in POC, is there uh, any best practice that you follow that has been working well for you over other POCs?
1: Yeah. What I do is I like to, I, I learned from our mistakes. Initially, we just used to bring in the equipment and play with it. And then no one will play with it for two weeks, three weeks because they got busy with their own thing. So right now when we do a POC, I like to get commitment from the customer that this specific person will be working on it for these five days or whatever the the amount. And they should know that I'm going to be on site with them for these five days. I'm not going to leave it with them and go away just because if they run into like a simple block that takes me two seconds to fix, but it takes them two hours because they haven't seen it before they're just gonna go and move on to play with other things. Whereas if I'm there, I can support them. So we get the agreement of who's gonna work with us. Second of all, we get agreement on what they wanna do during this proof of concept. What are the test cases? What are the scenarios they wanna run? Because if we don't do that, every time we finish a scenario, they're gonna come up with a new scenario. And then there is no limit to the scenarios that they can come up with. But- Customers should know that not every scenario is going to work on every single product. If there's a scenario they might need in the future, we can open a ticket, open a feature request, but what are the most essential tests that you need to run or uh, scenarios that you you need to run for this uh, POC to be a success?
0: Yeah, that is correct. I think scoping uh, the POC, making sure that we define a limited scope. It's definitely a key to make sure that POC finishes on time, And it is successful customer also feels that they have got something out of the POC, which is they were looking for. So I think, yeah, that's that's definitely an important part
1: of it. Yeah. And we can use that to steer the POC towards our strengths. If we can help the customer out by, we're going to fill in the POC scope and then we're going to give it to you and you can modify whichever way you want. So with that initial draft, we can steer it towards our strengths and then it's on them to actually change it to if most customers are okay with it, because our what we what we wrote down will solve their problem. But if there's something specific, a specific feature they're looking for, they can add that at that point before we start the POC. And then we have the time schedule. We go in and we do the POC. I expect someone from the customer working with me, whoever decided to work with me, that they're going to work with me, not be pulled into different meetings. Because we, they wouldn't be calling us if they didn't have a problem. They wouldn't be spending their time doing a POC if they didn't have a problem. If they're not serious enough to sit with me, then they're not serious enough to buy.
0: Right. So, so it seems like uh, in, in your scenario, you probably have most, most of the customers who are within the reach where you can go and work with them or yeah. be present with them. But what would you recommend to the SEs who are, let's say, covering multiple states or uh, bigger regions where they cannot be with the customer all the time? What would you recommend how they can get a better response time? Or I, and I think one thing that you mentioned very important is that if you're running a POC, you know your product much better than customers. So if you're there to guide them, it can move definitely much faster than letting customers just play on their own and figuring it out. And when they're stuck in the problem, they will probably move on to something else because they have to then wait for your response. But how would you, let's say, how can a person who's working remote or working in a different time zone, how can they make sure that they are also moving their POCs faster? Any tips for that that you've seen working?
1: Yeah. So I would say make sure that they understand that you're going to call them or message them a few times a day. It's not to bug them. It's not to see if, are you going to buy it's more to see if they run into any problem or to get an update because you are expecting an update about the scenarios, especially if it's a short term, like five day POC or like 10 day, whatever it is, you're expecting updates on what's working, what's not working so that if something's not working, you can get someone to help them or you can help right. them yourself. So I, I let my customer know like if you this POC, you might get tired of hearing my voice. I'm not doing this to bug you. I'm doing this to make sure that we're moving forward. I understand you have other responsibilities, but this is still like high on the list, which is why we selected this week where you said you're free to work on. Right, right. And make sure that a big mistake that I did early on in my career is I don't hear from the customer that everything's going fine, which turns out it's not true. If I don't hear from the customer, it's very potentially they haven't even looked at my my POC at that point. I agree. That's probably most likely the case. Yeah. Uh, So find a cadence that works for you once, like maybe once in the morning before you head out to, to meet customers or during lunch, you call them up, whatever it is. And if you're in town, drop by, see them. Generally speaking, when there is a POC, I would recommend you be able to visit locally once if it's important to you again depending on the size of the deal and all that that will change the way you react
0: those were some really great tips i think it will be very helpful i as as a final part i want to come back to you the we the sales engineers again so now that you have completed more than 100 episodes and i think you have your latest count when i saw the website was around 105 i think 106 um, was on monday
1: published on Monday. all right
0: so what's, do you have any other plans for the Sales Engineers or what's your next milestone? Are you looking to complete another 50 or hundred podcasts? What's coming next? I guess that's what I'm asking for well, the Sales Engineers. What's coming next?
1: The funny part about it uh, there is there's a lot of things that have happened next that no one's heard about. So maybe I should uh, go there. We do have a forum on the Sales Engineers, which is to like foster that relationship between different sales engineers. So if you have any questions... You, know, you can pop in and ask your question there. You're going to get people answering those questions. I do have YouTube videos that are coming out on a weekly basis, especially during our lockdown right now. Previously, it was once every two weeks, or at least when I got the chance. But right now, I have a little bit more time since I'm not driving as much. So there is that. What's next? I just sent out a survey to the sales engineering community just to see what they need help with. And based on the responses from there, I guess I'll decide what's next and I'll let you know.
0: Thank you so much for building this content. I think uh, what you're doing, uh, you're spending time and uh, resources to build this extremely useful content for Sales engineers. So we really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And it, it's great talking to you uh, and I look forward to what, what else with the Sales engineers does and I'll be always looking for the updates. Thanks
1: Vik, this was fun. I appreciate you taking the time to
0: talk to me. Thank you Ramzi.
1: Pudding is a smart POC platform that elevates the POC experience for sales teams and their customers. Sales engineering teams use Pudding for tracking, managing, and automating POC activities. Find out more at Pudding.app.